hand wants to reap the benefits of tribes, you know, operating in the footprint of tribes for tribal child welfare issues, for um, now looking at expanding education, um, but not in the sense of having authentic relationship building always, but maybe to displace spending of state funds to not have um, state generated revenues. And so it's this, it's always this difficult balance to bring people along in that conversation. And I would just also add that Lago and I are right. You know, four years ago, we, I had been having conversations with then speaker Bryce Edgman about, you know, because I was coming from tribal health, um, working in tribal health, um, having worked for advocating for tribes for a long time in my career, when I came into the legislature and we were talking about, establishing a tribal affairs committee, not necessarily in the construct of advancing certain policies, but introducing tribal lexicon into the state legislature. So legislators understand what is tribal sovereignty? What does uh, you know government to government relationship look like? There's a lot of legislators that think Alaska Native corporations are tribes or that village corporations should be funding tribal needs. So there's, I mean, down to the most basic level, a need to bring people along. And it was in our inaugural hearing, we actually invited um, a gosh like Sanders from um, First Alaskans to come in and present on the layers of government governance. And one of the last things she said was, you know, the founding documents of our state do not even recognize tribal people. And really the most recent um, attempt to recognize tribes at the state level began back then, four years ago that I recall, uh, when former representative Chuck Kopp and his staff, Ken Truitt, drafted House Bill 221, which really was the blueprint for House Bill 123. and we saw that bill time out, um, but it is such a weird, I don't even think the state or legislators or agency heads even see um, just the conflict of approaches that are taken on tribal issues. I think um, one of the things that I, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on is um, about this notion that uh, we've heard from some folks, <clears throat> even at the bill signing, we kind of heard this notion that, you know, it was really just a symbolic bill. Mm-hmm. And I I really take issue with that because it actually changed the law. Because now in, you know, in, in, in Alaska code, there was never a place for tribes. There was never a place that recognized tribes on a government to government basis with the state. But now it's codified. It's codified in state law. Before it didn't exist. Now it exists. 
And um, when we were going through the whole ballot initiative process, that was one of the questions that we actually fielded a lot, which was, why does this matter? And um, and that question, you know, always blew my mind because it's just so, um, it just seems so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about the change in law and I'm looking forward to how it actually gets implemented. Um, but I don't know, what are you guys' feelings on that whole? You know, I, I hope this is just the beginning. I think Tiffany had said that at some point, you know, that hopefully this was the beginning. And, and I think so, <clears throat> you know, I found it curious in the governor's statements at the signing when he was talking about, you know, meeting with governors of other states and asking them, hey, do you recognize their tri- your tribes? And and they all kind of almost laughed, like, of course we do. Like, it was just normal business. And like, you know, governor of our own state didn't realize just how far beho- behind other states we are in these relationships. And, you know, I think we had a nice little panel after the signing ceremony and talked about some next steps that, you know, I really hope to see like an office of intertribal affairs um and in the administration i think every department should have a tribal liaison you know there there needs to have some real change there and tiffany alluded to this earlier and talking about like well working with the tribes isn't about the, the less money they have to spend but you know the money we bring in if we can work together with the state more effectively our dollars will go further it won't be necessarily about savings. The savings will be, you know, in the long term. The impact. The impact of it, mm-hmm. right? You oh, know, and Wafla Gadok worked in the, a former administration. And I know, and that administration was very proactive compared to others as far as working with the tribes, had formed the uh, tribal advisory committee to the governor. You know, maybe you can share a little bit just your thoughts and what you'd like to see administratively happen and those changes. Yeah, there's um, you know, and as you're talking, brother, you know, there um, that the governor Walker did have tribal uh, liaison in each department, and we were working towards what it would look like for all of the departments to have a consultation plan. And uh, in our administrative order, the government to government AO three hundred had that written into it, but we had no backstopper. With, with federal legislation, you can say, you can pinpoint, okay, we have this federal legislation, we're using the this federal list to designate and identify who our tribes are. And so you have, you have law, hard law, that you can point to with an executive order or an administrative order. We had nothing. Right. We had no law we could, we could use as our kind of, this is the foundation. We're just implementing some policy from the governor's standpoint to be able to point to. So as Log and I was saying, then with this codifying and bringing that the word tribe even into the lexicon, is that that backstop? That's is the that backstop that we needed. That's exactly what we needed to implement so many ideas that because the tribal liaison crew and I would meet monthly and just like, we need this to change within our department. But the only way this can change is if it's a governor, you know, and all of these things. 
landed on the, the capability of this piece of legislation being in place. That's the, the central pin that we needed to implement all the things that could have taken place, but we didn't have that. We needed that central pillar before all of these other ideas could come to fruition. You, you know, one of the things I in my day job that I just wrestle with all the time is, you know, when you talk to these legislators and administration that just don't get it, they really feel like our sovereignty, tribal sovereignty threatens theirs. And I've always tried to, I'm like, our sovereignty's always been here. It's here right now. How How is it changing your world? You know, and certainly if it's going to be a change, I, I can only see how it's for the better. You know, when we can start talking about really taking on public safety, when we can really talk about healthcare and education in meaningful ways that are going to build healthier communities. When I say healthy tribes make healthy communities, I'm talking about the broad community, not just for our people, but for everybody benefit from strong tribes in their communities. I think you're going to see the next big thing you're going to see is broadband, you know, with the infrastructure bill and all the different um, monies coming at us for broadband, the tribal money coming out of that is actually dwarfs the state's portion of the money. So really, as they look to close that digital divide, they're going to be turning to the tribes who have the lion's share of the money. Bringing bring to broadband what tribes brought to healthcare. Yes. Exactly. You know, I think. I mean, and Tiffany, you work in that world, right? We have the strongest healthcare system in the country, tribal or hell otherwise. It's called devolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that Wafal Gidak touches on such an incredible opportunity, untapped opportunity. And I know uh, and Laguna, you've both also touched on it, which is it's so ironic that it's taken so long for the state to one, recognize tribes, but two, to have meaningful partnerships. Because like you said, it's not like tribes are not window dressing or just a government entity to be consulted with they really provide best practices because when agencies from outside of Alaska or companies from outside of Alaska are coming in and trying to ask questions about what actually works on the ground and what's meaningful and what actually improves quality of life, they're not calling state legislator offices for people on the road system they're not calling um, and talking to the governor's office and people who have no interaction, which essentially is how state departments are functioning. They're allowing career employees to make decisions on what they believe is in the best interest of a community without actively having dialogue with people who are living on the ground, who know the family structures, who know the difficult histories of what has happened in a community, and if we just got out of our own way and empowered our tribal people, it's improving state, you know, state programs or federal programs, but it's also inherently what tribes would do anyway. So if we can just allow other, you know, 
if, if we could just get out of our own way and empower these communities who are making good decisions, be able to exercise that self-governance and self-determination and really put into place things that work, I think we would see communities thriving even more than they are. And like you said, it's, we're seeing a multi-billion dollar tribal health industry that served as the backbone during a global pandemic that serves as an economic boom for the state that would otherwise pay all of that money. I think we're going to start seeing that in broadband, like you're saying, and there's different approaches. And I hope that future legislator legislatures and governors will take an approach similar to the one that Wafal Girak talked about, because when you recognize the untapped potential, I mean, we're, then we would just be living our wildest dreams, not just for tribal people, but as a whole collective community. Well, and I think it's really, um, you know, it's really funny because you said this earlier, Tiffany, about, um, you know, that tribes are the most local form of government. If you go back and you read any of the stuff that um, Alaskans were putting out um, to form the state of Alaska, it all asserts, it all asserts the need for not having a far-flung government paternalistically controlling everything that you do. I mean, the state has made its own argument already to support and justify um, and and really want to and, and should really want to work with tribes because of it, because that's exactly what the tribes are doing. And it's really frustrating to even with people who are quote unquote friendly um, to native issues and native people, some of them can be the biggest roadblocks. Not just, you know, the people that you might think who are, you know, opposed to native people um, for issues of racism or or whatever they want to call it, but some of the people who want to be the biggest champions of native people can sometimes be the biggest roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And they slow things down and they're, they assert an overly cautious approach in order to control. And that is paternalism uh, brought to life in the mechanism of government. And so when I think about like what was shared earlier about the overreach that the state government has in terms of uh, our tribal governments or that they try to have, one of the things that I think about is um, the fact that it's the the state is actually kind of strangling itself, and and it's and, and it's kind of like um, what is it cutting off one hand to to serve the other? Yeah. Um, they're they're so short sighted in the understanding of this incredibly powerful force, indigenous force that has been here for thousands of years that in fact defines Alaska. Um, they're so short-sighted to see that as a threat that they do everything they can to control and have jurisdiction and ownership. Um, when at the same time, they're saying we want less government. We want more independence. And it's like, well, <laughs> you can't have both. Um, so if you are looking to get out of the government business, then there are the foundations of a serving 
collective body that is the tribal governments in our communities. And there's a way for those things to actually be synergistic. And that's one of the things that's most um, frustrating to me. And I don't know uh, about your guys' thoughts about where we're going moving forward, but <laughs> I'm really looking forward to these things not being these these specific legal issues no longer being a barrier, but also some of these people who say that they're champions getting out of the way, removing themselves, as you said, Tiffany, from kind of getting over themselves to allow the work that needs to be done to get done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you look at who are kind of friends and allies on this and then who who weren't. Um, we You have some strong allies where you don't expect it, like, because we had a lot of actually ANC support this, right? Our mm -hmm. corporations. Yeah. And there's been this real attitude of tribe versus corporation. And, and I think that's such a falsehood, right? That's not who we are. Um, I, I kind of look at it as funny right now. I didn't even think about this. Uh, I'm the president of the largest regional tribe. You're both on the board of directors for the largest regional corporation. Um, yet, when we look at each other, we see brother to sisters. Um, we're the same people, and we've let ourselves get divided. And you know, never mind that we're either siblings or relatives or aunties, uncles on these boards and councils, but we divide ourselves. And um, I really adopted the mentality of, you know, what the work that you guys do in your day job of with the being good relatives and. You know, um, I, I hear statements that can just have tremendous impact on me and they kind of become my mantras. And my one of the favorites is when First Alaskan sets out in this work and talks about uh, when we fight each other, somebody else wins, which mm. I always love because that came from our sister Ayu's mother, right? She said, yeah, said that. And such a simple but prophetic and impactful statement mm -hmm. <laughs> that literally the realistic uh interpretation of our everyday life right yeah mm -hmm. it really just should boil down to that and we have that work amongst ourselves um with tribes and corporations even tribe to tribe or corporation mm -hmm. to corporation mm -hmm. but um i think we need to adopt that for our relationship with the state of alaska too if I'm going to walk my talk when I say healthy tribes make healthy communities, I have to walk that talk and, and that, you know, being good relatives there, you know, there are relative too. we're Alaskans, we're, we're citizens of Alaska. I, I want them to do better and be better. You know, just like I want in my day job, I want the tribe to do better and be better. It's what I want for our corporation. Yeah, because because like it or not, citizens of Alaska, maybe not so much our people, but everyday citizens take their cues from our government, yeah. from the top leaders of our state. And when the top leaders of our state say things like tribes don't exist, everyday citizens are going to also treat us that way. Everyday citizens are going to see us in a, in a different light when the state of Alaska says tribes do exist and we're going to have a better relationship. Everyday citizens down to, you know, kids are going to look at us differently and relationship is going to shift, sure. but it has to start there. And like, and it's, 
a shitty thing that we have to rely on, you know, top officials who, like you said, know nothing about our tribes and know nothing about our people to make these decisions. But if we have to force the hand, we have to force the hand. You, you know, that brings to me back to the ballot initiative. And if we could go back on that and talk about that history, because one of the things that came out of the ballot initiative that was really astounding to me is one, they gather our gathered the uh, signatures so quickly, mm -hmm. right? And you can talk a little more about that. But also, a lot of the feedback we got from people signing the ballot was, why is this necessary? Isn't this already in place? Doesn't this already exist? Right. Yeah. And then so, like, gasp, what? Yeah. yeah. I'll sign that. <laughs> so, so earlier I said, you know, you two, uh, my rider dies, my sisters. Who, <laughs> if you say jump off a cliff, I say where? Tell me, let the cliff be this valid initiative. And you guys told me to get on board with it and you brought it to me. So what was the genesis of that? So, you know, federally, we were seeing this just momentum of Native people across the United States changing, like, complete red states blue. Things were happening and people were like, oh, maybe we should start paying attention to Native rights and Native needs and things like that. We were the, like, as you say, brother, all the time, the pretty girl at the dance all of a sudden. And guess what happens when we're the pretty girl at the dance? You know, these big funders who work in all these other places are like, man, we need to throw money at Native people right now because maybe they can help us with our own agenda. And so came to us and said, uh, Logan and I and said, what are the things? What can we, what can we push forward? And they're thinking to, to serve their own agenda. And I'm going to be real on this as a podcast, serve their own agenda was to bring blue voters to the polls using our, our tribal, whatever we needed as, as Native people to bring blue voters to the polls. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, our agenda is our agenda, you know, however the means to get there is whatever that's their agenda, that's their agenda, whatever they want to do. But our agenda was the, the tribal recognition. And if they were, they had all these people lined up to throw stupid money at something that we knew needed to happen to, to serve our people and to be better uh, caretakers for our communities, then so be it. You know, it's funny you bring that up because somebody said to me while we were up there, you know, the reason they're signing this and it's going through is they didn't want the ballot initiative to happen because it would bring out more of our voters. Yeah. And I was like, oh, did we just have a victory or a loss? You know, I, I had to settle for saying it was a victory because I don't get behind something and not mean it. Right. So, of course, we wanted to when Tiffany pushed House Bill 123, of course, we wanted to see it across. But I, I want to see our people get out and vote. We shouldn't have to have a ballot initiative for people to care because I know how you can get apathetic and disenfranchised with politics. But man, it, we see it right there in the House when you have an, a, an elected official who says Native women get pregnant so they can get a free trip to Anchorage or Seattle for an abortion. Yeah. Man, you know the village in me comes out or I want to punch them in the face. But um, And if they're saying that, if they're saying that publicly? on the floor, on the floor, saying? what are they saying in private? And there was definitely, there have definitely been times in my legislative tenure where people said crazy stuff to me in meetings. Like I had a duly appointed uh, cabinet member in my office 
tell me that people, Native people in villages shouldn't have equitable access to state programs because they choose to live there, just like they choose to live in a place where there's not a Fred Meyer. I mean, the perspective that some people bring into these jobs is gnarly. But also, but also, side note, it's so fun to hear with all you know, talk about the genesis of the ballot initiative, because I had no idea. Um, you know, we were we were like having these conversations in the Capitol. I and and all I remember hearing about on the ballot initiative was like, we think that this is a ballot initiative that we're going to push. We're going to try to collect some signatures and see how it goes. And literally, like three weeks later, it was like, oh, by the way, we've gathered all of the signatures and then some, a significant amount of some. And so that was just like, yeah, it was so crazy. It's so crazy. Well, I I wanted to share, um, you know, I wasn't really thinking about it so much as it was election season um, and turning out Native voters. Wathlakirak and I were really talking about how this need has existed. Mm-hmm. And every time we engage with our communities, it's always something that's brought up. The fact that our tribes weren't recognized by the state, which I can now say in past tense, right? Yeah. Um, was always a major issue at every gathering where we were talking about solutions that are needed for our community. And <clears throat> With HB 123, quite frankly, I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, because as you said, Tiffany, you know, it started, this this current iteration of it started with HB 221. Was that what it was with um, Chuck Cobb? Um, See, it really was as easy as 123. It really is as easy <laughs> as 123. <laughs> and, um, and before that, right? Before that was an effort by uh, Representative Bryce Edgman to put a resolution through that would recognize tribes. And that was a few years before that, and that got slapped back. And before that, there were multiple other attempts to try to include tribes in different types of legislation, and it got slapped back. I remember there was a, uh, an ICWA case um, there was an ICWA case, this was during the Walker administration, and um, it was about the preferred placements for our children. And it was this whole process um, that just was not workable, um, that had uh, that had just caused all kinds of problems. Well, the fix to it had to be a legislative fix. I don't remember, I can't remember the, the, the bill, um, but it had to have a legislative fix. And one of and 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 in one of the committees that it had to go before, one of the uh, legislators refused for that bill to go through the committee until they struck out the word tribe. <laughs> this is just a few years ago, yeah. during the Walker administration. Never mind that it was a fix for how the state implemented the Indian Child Welfare Act, <laughs> and it was like. She was like, well, why can't this be the preferred placements for all the children of Alaska? And I was like, you're right. There's a gold standard in ICWA. But ICWA only applies to tribal children. It doesn't apply to anybody else. It's a federal law that the state has to implement. 
and refused until that word was stricken out of the bill for it to move forward. And <clears throat> I had no hope, really, that the legislature would ever recognize our tribes. And even some of our allies didn't think it was possible. You know, in previous conversations and years before, you know, talking about whether a bill could be put together to recognize tribes and having, you know, uh, uh, a native advocate, um, not native himself, but a native advocate advise a legislator that there's just no way that this is going to happen. You know, it's been decades and decades. So the ballot initiative was a mechanism to say, if the legislature will not do what is right, let's go to our fellow Alaskans and ask them to stand beside us and make something right that should have been right so long ago, made right so long ago. And so that's where the, the for me, the impetus for the ballot initiative came. And really thinking about it from a place of, you know, what do we risk if we do this? What do we risk if we don't do this is the bigger question. Because what we would risk is essentially what we already have. We already know what it's like to have a state government not recognize us. We know what it's like to have lots of racism against our native people. Mm -hmm. We know what it's like to have that racism utilized in um, state policy and um, legislation. So that would be status quo. But what we were risking by doing this was the opportunity to change the law so that Yes, our tribes are recognized, but really the purpose of it is to make Alaska better, like Wafakirak and Chakirish were already saying. You know, that's a good uh, kind of throwback too. you know, Wafakirak had said earlier about not, you know, not having it codified. And you had mentioned that, you know, in in my experience and in, in history, uh, as a as a leader, you know, the Knowles administration had tried to do the Millennium Agreement some 22 years ago that really did nothing, you know, didn't change anything. And people think it did and that it still matters. And it doesn't because the next administration came in and just said, well, that didn't matter. You know, even uh, past Governor Walker with his administrative order, you know, basically means nothing until that's codified. And we can start using the word tribes and it seems silly to even say so we can use the word tribes but that's literally what it comes down to so you know i share your um being offended when people think that this didn't mean anything because now the word tribe it can be used in, in state you know in the administration in the legislation and that's crazy that it couldn't really before wasn't and so hopefully we've made some real good um, foundation there that we've laid that can be built upon, right? And, you know, through the ballot initiative, through the pushing for House Bill 123, we had allies who stepped up. Mm -hmm. You know, do you guys want to talk about who any of those allies were or mm -hmm. who, who stepped up? I mean, for me, I'm going to just jump right in here and <laughs> say all of you were 
on speed dial and showed up in hearing after hearing, not just, not just on this bill, but really in educating our legislators in tribal affairs issues generally. So in, you know, my approach to chairing the tribal affairs committee was always to have like, because I really grew up in my professional career with Lagunai and with Algidak. And we always prided ourselves on having difficult conversations in a safe space. And really the purpose of the Tribal Affairs Committee was to do that, to unravel these issues around tribes and tribal people in a way that was non uh, adversarial and could destigmatize some of these things. And it hasn't been just pushing House Bill 123, but it's been years of you all, all of you coming into that legislative committee and having conversations with legislators that serve not just on the tribal affairs committee, but in other committees on finance people who are making decisions and hearing legislation being considered on the house floor. Um, you know, we just, it's, it's fun to talk about house Bill 123, but I have to say, cause you guys are the first ones that I'm seeing since this happened, but two days ago, house bill 184 that we sponsored to codify the tribal child welfare compact that started under the Walker administration became state law because wow. well, the governor didn't, the governor didn't sign it. But um, enough time had elapsed that it wasn't vetoed, that now we're changing mechanisms of ways to approach uh, ways to approach the work that we do in Alaska and the way that the state works with tribes. And so first shout out to all of y'all <laughs> for being in all of those committee hearings on bills, but then just educating people. And then I would say, I also have to give mad props because other people that came forward always were Natasha Singh, uh, Nicole Borromeo, um, Joy Anderson from ABCP, all of these people that are willing to delve into answering questions about 200 years of federal Indian policy, whether it's about tribes or it's about the way that tribes interact with government or the history that we have as a country. Uh, or who we are as Native people. And so that's where I would start. I um, I want to do a really shameless shout out to my mom. Um, so when the Tribal Relations Committee got started, I was sharing this with Tiffany earlier. Um, when my mom heard about it, my mom made a commitment that she was going to go to every hearing and that she was going to sit there and she was going to be there as a supporter, as an elder to support Tiffany and the important work of that committee. And she went, was. she was she there. there she would go early. She would go early enough to get herself a coffee, get the best primo parking, <laughs> get there, be all set up in the room so that she could be there for every single hearing. And, and um, there's something that our elders say, um, they say your presence is everything. And um, my mom, she turned out, she turned out for that committee because she loves Tiffany and she understood how hard it was to do that work. Uh, it makes me emotional hearing that because Ma Cheney showed up and it wasn't even, we were the committee 
that registered for our college classes late. So we got stuck with 8 a.m. on Tuesday, Thursday. It was hard. And Ma Cheney turned out every hearing. She didn't care the topic. She was there. Um, as soon as it was like, even after the pandemic pause, she showed up. I mean, it was like the most incredible. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good at that. She's way better than me. I would walk in. Why do they make these at eight? Let's get there. <laughs> and every time I got there, she was already there. Yep. I was like, dang it. It's hard to complain about it. And you're elder me as a staffer. I was working for Bryce at the time and she'd be there before me and like, dang, making me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, say that we had a really great team that worked on the ballot initiative. Um, we had um, uh, Alex Murphy, uh, John Henry Heckendorn, and um, Scott Kelly. Kendall. 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 Did I say it's Kelly? Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. Um, I never remember Paula's last name. And Paula Del Fierro. Mm -hmm. I think I said it right this time. Delario? I think Delario. Delario. Yes, thank you. Sorry, Paula. Sorry, Sorry Paula. Paula, we'll be there. <laughs> Paula Delario. Um, who was just, she was just so easy to work with and she, she just showed up and um, really want to say to the whole team. Um, they were uh, really good to work with and they put together um, the foundation for the ballot initiative to move forward to make sure that we got the signatures, that we had funding to support the work that needed to move forward um, with the understanding, the agreement that we all had was we want HB 123 to pass. But if it doesn't, then the ballot initiative is moving forward. And the ballot initiative process is its own mechanism. So once you get that ball rolling, it's it's rolling. And the only thing that could have stopped it was the passage and the signing into law of this bill. Right, because after House Bill 123 was signed into law, my understanding then is the Department of Law advised the Lieutenant Governor's Office that this initiative is no longer necessary because it was now law, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And the Lieutenant Governor's Office sent a, um, sent a letter to us. Dear Jane John letter to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Ballot initiative breakup letter. <laughs> <laughs> was better than a text, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, um, we're a hard group to wrangle. So, you know, Alex and, and all of them, I just thank them because, man, I don't know how many group texts or emails we would get. and Friendly reminders. Friendly reminders. For one thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure early on I said, Feel free to nag me because I'm. I, I, I need to be nagged. I need to be nagged. Yeah. Trust we me. All did. Yeah. We all did. It was. And then somebody would chime in like two days later. Okay. I just reviewed it. I was like, oh, damn. I got to go review this. <laughs> well, so. the other people, though, that really came in a big time for supporting HB123 were um, the Alaska Federation of Natives, mm -hmm. Julie Kitka. Yeah. And um, and also uh, some of our corporations through the Alaska Regional Association mm -hmm. really showed up as well. Um, and 
use some of their relationships, um, resources and, and resources mm -hmm. and their lobbyists to say, let's educate the legislature about this bill. Let's talk about why it's important. So we can't, we can't thank people without forgetting to mention how critical their work was. And, you know, one of the things that was mentioned uh, at the signing was that there was a, there were two committees of jurisdiction <laughs> and then a decision was made to um, drop one committee. So this bill only had one committee on the Senate side to get through. And people wanted it done, you know, the governor was supportive of it and, um, and legislators were supportive of it. You had bipartisan support. Um, but in that one committee, everything came to a grinding halt. Now let's push pause on that. And let's think about all the other issues that were happening in the legislature. And um, I can't even imagine the political jockeying that was happening around all these other bills that then use HB 123 as a leveraging tool. Yep. And that's the part to me that's just, it just blows my mind. And I don't know if this is the podcast for it, but we need to get the history of the political nastiness that happened so that our people, especially our younger people who are learning how to be advocates, have a better understanding of just how this system works. Because if they don't get that, all they're gonna hear is the outcome and they're gonna get to see the results hopefully, but they're gonna think that it went through with no problems. But there's so much stuff that happened. We need to make sure that we capture that history for posterity so that our people coming up understand this is the work, this is the work of it. And this is the hard work of it, the unpleasant work of it. And nobody wants to be subjected to individual, personal, institutional, and systemic racism. But when you want to show up for your people as Native people, that is the systems that you are in conflict with from the jump. Yeah, it's interesting to me that I was talking to people that I knew working inside, saying, you know, groups, I don't know if we want to name them, but let's say the Not Indoor Council. Not Indoor <laughs> <laughs> they they were trying to influence the governor and legislators like crazy not to sign this and i'm like how, how does a group that's hunting and fishing why why would they even be opposed to us they really literally owe it to native stewardship to yes. even be able to do any of that stuff here mm -hmm. and i i just think about that all the time they want us in doing things because we're the ones who protect and, and perpetuate the resources, you know, mm -hmm. you could be able to come hunt and fish. If we're not in charge, everything's going to be gone. You mean like the where we're at right now? Yeah. Like where we are now. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to have that conversation with you all and to spill the tea. And I think we should probably do it offline before we do Absolutely. it online. <laughs> Absolutely. But I have to say, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have to say, um, I have to give props to Logan Basner who worked in my office because he, and he camped out in Senate offices to explain 
what the bill did and didn't do. And he brought forward all of the legal opinions. There were so many legal opinions from the Department of Law to legislative legal to external tribal and uh, other legal groups kind of affirming what the bill does and doesn't do for legislators to understand that. Um, you know, he, we spent a lot of time negotiating. The bill itself looks different than when it was introduced as 221 and when we reintroduced it as 123 in terms of just the chap, the title and chapter of where it was located. Previously, it was in a state, um, state sovereignty chapter and title to, because it was really about state and tribal relations. Um, but some members of the legislature thought, well, this is just a backdoor into, you know, broadening tribal rights. And even though, again, there was overwhelming legal opinions that said that wasn't the case. And so we had to find a new title and chapter for where it would be. So it looks slightly different. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it was in a spot that wasn't just like a catch-all. Nobody wants to be in a catch-all title and chapter for something as meaningful as acknowledging tribal tribal existence in statute. So there were definitely a lot of things that went on in the background. Um, so I'm excited for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Must be had. No, I, I, this podcast is, is literally the um, spot to just have a conversation. We're not wearing our titles here. Um, my day job isn't involved with this. And so, you know, say what we want to say and talk about what we want to talk about. But I couldn't think of a better group to work with to get this through on both sides. And, you know, the signing ceremony was kind of awesome and over the top because I've been to plenty of bill signings. They're usually pretty short and sweet and get in, get out. Uh, this one, you know, I think Julie at AFN really uh, wanted to make it memorable and, and signify how important it was. And it was great to see so many friends and allies there, uh, people who um, were a part of it. It was really good to see Ken Truitt there. You'd mentioned him earlier, you know, and he was a former staffer uh, that tried to get the previous bill through and had pushed there. So thanks to Ken and all those. Uh, I really, really appreciated us just even afterwards going to get a bite to eat together as a group and celebrate, you know, take that minute to celebrate because it doesn't seem like we get those enough, those opportunities to celebrate, um, you know, just amazing. I don't know if we want to wrap up towards the conversation on the bill. And just again, Tiffany, from myself, just want to thank you so much. I'm personally a little devastated that you're not running again for your seat. But as a, as a friend and brother, I certainly congratulate you and celebrate you and, and hold you up. And uh, when you come back someday in this role or another elected role, Governor, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm gonna be <laughs> champion beside you, behind you, wherever you need me. Just, he also appreciates weddings. I so. do that, yeah. So if you, I don't know, <laughs> we're just gonna out her on a podcast that our dear sister is newly engaged. 
<laughs> oh, it's Facebook official. Yeah. It's, Facebook it's global official, news. Man. It's global news. <laughs> no, Instagram, Instagram official. Same Facebook thing. Same is thing. Um, <laughs> We're not letting you. It's know. so I. <laughs> I feel so privileged to join you guys distant from a distance. And it's really funny to talk about this bill as, as my bill, because really it's such a community effort and there's so many hands in that pot. Um, I have to tell one quick little story before you tie us up, which is I had moved, I was back at work doing my interim job and um, one of our tribal leaders that, uh, is on our, our board, um, was talking with, a, a visiting agency official, um, and talking about how he heard about this bill at the state level that was recognizing tribes and how meaningful for him as like an almost 80 year old elder from a village on our coast, how much it meant to him and what it meant for our people. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had a hand in that. Um, and I had to go up to him after and just say, you know, it was such a privilege to be able to work on that. Um, and like, just to be a part, it's like, my name's attached to it, but it, there's like such, all of us, such a community, such a family, like pulling together in the same direction. And I just hope for future legislators that, um, or legislatures that there are people in that building, in that space that understand how to take that approach and just wish them all the best, but I'm super excited for my next chapter for sure. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all super excited. Well, and I think Waffle Godok said it best. Uh, I officiate. So, you know, bro brother's ready to fly. Whoa. Whoa. Good to know. He's been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but um, a number of years ago, I did an on-air interview, and it was like my first one ever, and it was about some work that the tribe had done. And so, I, one, I was really nervous, and a lot of people think, oh, you're such a great speaker. Oh, you do. And I'm a nervous wreck before I speak. And this was my first on-air. I'd, I'd only been president of Clinton Ida for, you know, maybe six months. And uh, so every answer was love. Whoa. <laughs> and so we get through this interview and I'm like, this was awful. This was the worst experience of my life. And the, the on-air uh, newscaster, she's really got taken by all of my answers, which were just love. And so I thought it was the worst. She's like, oh, my God, this was like the best interview. Can you come? We, can you come back after the break? And I was like, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> I was like, sure. And so we come back, cuts back after the commercial. And she goes, I just have to ask you, you're so amazing. You've got all these great answers. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> and she goes, what would you do about the conflict in the Middle East? And in my mind, I'm like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? And then just automatically my dumb brain kicks in and I said, love. <laughs> my answer for everything, love. So kind of one of my worst and most embarrassing moments, but maybe only to me. 
I heard staff have been trying to locate that video. I hope they find it. So Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam's the man behind the curtain here. Say hi, Sam. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so Sam's our engineer, and he also happens to our day jobs crossover, and he works there. Anyhow, they've been trying to find that, and I'm praying to the internet gods that they never do. <laughs> well, you're but once it's back, so they're gonna find it. <laughs> once it's on the internet, it lives forever, so it's got to be somewhere. It was awful. I, I, before we for, before we forget collectively, though, that we've talked about like maybe the last one or two decades of this, mm -hmm. but this has literally been since before statehood. Mm -hmm. Yeah that this effort has been underway in multiple different forms. And it's always just been about our people. So at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that this thing actually gets implemented. Names can be forgotten, but the impact should stay. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. And I keep thinking about all those elders like you were talking about Tiffany, who probably never thought they'd see this in their lifetime. And it just makes me so happy that we have a step forward. Mm -hmm. And one less route for things to end up at the Supreme Court of the United States. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully this really does open the door to new relationships, new opportunities. Uh. What? <laughs> Well, we've talked a lot about the bill and like what we're hoping for, but if you could define what a good relationship would look like, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. Oh. Don't all jump in at once. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not an expert on what good look, relationships look like, so I don't I know. <laughs> I can give you lots of advice on what not to do. Buy me gold. Make me coffee in the morning. <laughs> well, as, as a newlywed, you're supposed to have all of that anyways, right? Coffee every morning. Well, well, it should be a relationship as between siblings, though. And you guys are the best siblings ever. That is true. Right? Uh, we are good at that. We know how to show up for each other as brother and sisters. And I want that for the state and our tribes. I'm yeah. probably the best uncle alive. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just yeah. wonder twin powers. Right? Yeah. Activated. Yeah. I, I think the idea is that we'll finally be at the table as a part of the discussion, real discussion, rather than being what, you know, is being served upon the table. I think I want to see the underpinnings of racism throughout every decision that's made at that level just to dissolve. This is like step one in that that vein but yeah like wonder twin powers like all the things you're saying that the power of our ability to care for our communities and just to be walking hand in hand there's a lot that can happen there there's mm -hmm. a lot that can happen to care for all mm -hmm. of Alaska and the innovation the mm -hmm. indigenous ingenuity that's going to be unleashed <laughs> yeah Unleash it, the crack. It, it seemed funny that during the celebration, there was a lot of talk about innovation. And I actually, I don't know, that kind of triggered me a little bit. because I was like, you know, our ancestors have been innovative 
since the beginning of time, mm -hmm. the innovation isn't innovative. It's just looking to the indigenous stewards, you know, to that knowledge, to that governance that, you know, I get offended. We t I talk a lot about this where people talk about how our people have survived. And I'm like, until colonization, we didn't survive, we thrived. Yeah. Right? Like, we come from the richest lands with the greatest resources. And for the state of Alaska, I think they need to realize that the Alaska Natives are the greatest resource of Alaska. Well, I want to roll that back. Okay. Can we roll that back to roll. greatest relatives for Alaska? Because... In Alaska, quote unquote, resource has become a term of extraction. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I think about is like when we as Native people think about our relationship to our lands, our waters, our animals, um, and everything that's within it, we think about that as a relative, not as a resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so rolling it back to wanting that to be the relationship rather than something that can be extractive, which I think is what you were saying by having a problem with the term innovative. Yeah. Let's turn it, turn it into innovative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I say roll it back because I think that's, you know, we're, we're learning this all together, you know, and as our eyes are open and we grow into this, I think planting this law in, you know, we're going to harvest and reap the rewards later on, right? Where just being able to say the word tribe today is going to seem so crazy in the future because we're so ingrained in everything. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, epic. And I, I, I want to see healthy communities. I think, uh, you know, all of us are, are from villages. We've all seen you know, the good and the bad and the ugly of it all. But I wear, like, I village pride like a badge of honor, right? I'm, I love, I'm village, and I don't live in the village now, but um, well, it's still a village, but, you know, you just can't take that out of me. It's the best part of me, I think, is growing up village with that reliance on each other, Um as a community to care of each other and and I just love that right now you know is the height of what people call subsistence you know it's our gathering time it's where you know we're able our people are hunting and fishing and gathering and storing food but the best part is you get on social media and see how um, people are sharing you know foods with each other and supporting each other uh, it's my favorite time of year yeah. And that's that richness of who we are. Thinking about just really quick, I want to add in, like, as I'm thinking about what this relationship could be like, I think about my, like, since all jokes aside, my personal relationships, my ex-husband and I, it was really, really horrible relationship. And I spent my whole entire marriage, you know, defending, surviving just trying to make it to the next day. And that left no room for the love of my people, left no room for the love of, you know, my family. All I was doing was fighting. That's all we did. And that wasn't, that was not healthy for anybody, but it didn't leave any room for me to be my full self and to the expansiveness of what I'm experiencing right now and the love that's infused in my current relationship. 
there's so much, it just, life is easier. I can do things. I can, I can dedicate time to things that matter in my life. And it's like, imagine a good relationship and what that can do, you know, instead of, like you said, brother, just surviving to a mm -hmm. point of where we can be thriving and unleashing the Kraken of innovation in a, in a native, in a native. <laughs> nobody no, indigenuity nobody makes up words better than our sister I, I start using them all the time and then people will look at me and I'm like oh yeah not an actual word right but then they now. start using it hey, we right? breathe life into it I know if you're if you're trying to find someone who can make fetch happen we know Logan and I can do that yeah <laughs> I was really glad you brought up Logan. Logan uh, was Tiffany's staffer and just really champion on this. And I was so glad he got to be there and experience that uh, day of the signing and us hanging out. And did he get his pen? He got a pen. He totally got a pen. Yeah. Thanks so, so much to one of our friends who snapped a photo of that happening. It's <laughs> funny because so when the governor signs a bill, they'll tend to give the pens out to people there and, that's all Logan wanted was one of the pens. <laughs> yep. That's all he talked about all session. I got one of the pens when they signed um, the language recognition. Well, yeah. You'll remember that? Too. Yeah. Awesome. And that's what I'm thinking about. Like you were just saying, like, <clears throat> and I think that's what I, 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 that's what I feel like this allows us to have a foundation for is the, the birthing of a new spirit of creativity between the knowledge and genius of our people and the people who are working for the state of Alaska and trying to breathe life into a new way of doing things, a different way of doing things. Something that we've had for thousands of years is so um, second nature to us and we don't even think about that brilliance. But other people, they're just blown away by it, you know? and, and I'll, I'll probably get emotional as I talk about this, but one of those areas is when we lose someone that we love and our community comes around us and lifts us up and the love is, the love is palpable mm -hmm. and you are carried through one of the most difficult moments in your life by a whole group of people who are unseen a lot of times. Mm -hmm. There's so many mechanisms at work from the grandma baking cookies, having her daughter or son bring them to the house mm -hmm. so that when you're there and you're sitting there and you, you don't need to eat because you're not hungry because there's food everywhere, but that cookie just speaks to you in that moment, you know, and feeds your soul with your coffee uh, sitting around the mm -hmm. table. You and, you might be surprised how many times cookies talk to me. In <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. our community uh, does every, they take care of you in such a profound way to help you through one of the most difficult moments in your life. And that's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does that look like on a statewide level when you actually get to bring that level of ceremonial genius and put it to work for you mm -hmm. and operationalize it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's so needed here because you look at all these systems, they're breaking down because they don't treat people well. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to care for people. 
They don't know how to care for people in healthcare, education, energy, all of these places. Well, I think it's that idea of like our, you know, what drives me is my the tribal values. And we can operate everything with those tribal values. And our values aren't exclusive. They're inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And they are what hold us up. And I couldn't have think, thought of a better group to do this with. Um, honestly, my sisters, you guys hold me up in everything I do. I, I can't <laughs> even, you know, think without you and it's been such a great time life, life is good because we're going through everything together right we go through the good together we go through the bad together you know we we truly do live our values and hold each other up and we all experience joy sorrow loss together and i think it makes us stronger and there's been a lot of that lately mm -hmm. you know this i don't know this pandemic seems to be throwing a great spotlight on all the loss and all the sorrow. But man, I'll tell you what, our, our sister Wapalgadak got married here in April. Finally, we had something to celebrate. Yes, about. absolutely. And I, I'm going to not lie. Like I thought, oh man, this is going to be a hotbed of COVID. And I actually don't think I ever heard of anybody getting And if anybody was going to, it was going to be me because I threw everything <laughs> as such. <laughs> I didn't know we were on that podcast. I know. Well, speaking of that. getting outed. Hey, this, is, this is that podcast. We talk about whatever we want. Uh, no, we had a good time celebrating. And God, after had really I had a really good time. <laughs> okay, we're not going to. Oh, go now it's far. not that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to find how far we're going. Yes, Barbara, I had a great time at your wedding. I would like to thank you and Brian for the lovely invitation. Oh, hell no. I, I, I was home on Prince of Wales with all of my peeps. I got to let loose and celebrate, and we needed it. And it was good because there's been a lot of sorrow we hadn't been able to really in-person hug about or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And it was great. It's like tartar too on your teeth. It builds up and you oh, forget, man. right? So you forget how to be with people and treat each other. And, and there's so much of that, like toxicity leaks into people's relationships and they forget how to actually be good to each other. And yeah. It was so good to finally come together. Well, no pressure, Tiffany, but you're next on the line. And so <laughs> we expect at least a two week festivity. <laughs> I was just going to, but on a, on a, <laughs> on a completely different note, I was just going to say how much I loved the medical analogy. Lug and I, best medical analogy. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> she should change in the subject away from this wedding a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... We have lots of opinions and advice for your wedding. That's what we're going to say. <laughs> I have lots of leftover decorations. Too. <laughs> Ooh, good to know. Uh, oddly enough, so do I. So... <laughs> Uh, if you ever need wedding decorations, your bro's got you covered. Mm. So, um, yeah. Gotta bless it first. Yeah, gotta have ceremony over it all first, though, and cleanse it. <laughs> let, let the bad spirits away. Anyhow, you know, as, as we do wrap up, though, and this is just 
One, I'm so grateful to have all of you on our first uh, opening the box of knowledge and uh, sad that Kachung couldn't be here for the interview. He's going to jump on later. He's uh, traveling the world and spreading the indigenous arts and music and with uh, Bumyo and what a cool thing that is. And we'll talk about it. One, one of the things in having this show and just really wanting to have conversations with cool people and again, I went easy and picked my sisters for the first one. That's but cheap. no, not really. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more comfortable. Okay. 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 But I want to ask, you know, I think a question for all my guests, because this is important to me, is what drives you? You know, not 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 necessarily this bill or that conversation, but what gets you up every day? What gets you excited and drives you? No, Tiffany. Yeah. Well, I can't help but think of um, so. Oh man, like major thoughts running through my head. But what comes to mind is I have this picture of my dad that was taken when he was a younger adult at my grandparents' fish camp which is on their native allotment right across the Cuscoquim from Bethel. And he's holding one of, he's holding a little dark puppy that I guess used to belong to my uncle. And I have it in every office that I've ever worked in that photo. Cause I found it um, at some point and just loved it. And I feel like it reminds me of why I do everything that I do. Um, and I know we talked a little bit, today about, um, you know, the decisions that, that we make are really based on our values. And, um, I just feel like as native people, um, those connections to who we are and our heritage and our culture and connection to place is such a blessing in terms of it's such a motivator for who I am as a person that I feel is such a gift that, uh, you know, not everybody has an opportunity for. Um, and, you know, sometimes I look back at that photo and I lost my dad at a young age. Um, he was in his fifties and I was in my, um, late teens, early twenties. And I think like, what would he have thought about where I am today? And, um, I think just that connection to uh, who we are and culture and all those things is really my motivation. It, it's what holds, it's the glue that holds relationships together for me. It's the, um, what sort of inspires me to do what I do. All of that. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. Super, super proud of you. How can mm -hmm. you not be? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you're going to know my answer, but my, uh, my now 16 year old with his becoming mannish body, <laughs> he, uh, he really is like, you know, the everything that I consider about allowing a world that he is safer in, allowing a world that accepts everything about who he is, a world where he doesn't have to to hide any aspect of who he is as a native man in any space. 
any space and that he is he's celebrated and so that that battle is something that continues and definitely an, an easy motivating factor in my life you know it's, it's beyond him it's all of his little buddies the the friends he has in his life and and my nieces and nephews and and those those coming generations and then i think about there's a connection to to our past too and there's this one song that and in the song it says creator let me live in a way that makes my ancestors proud and you know it's it's connecting back to drive it forward so that their fight wasn't for nothing and about you logan hmm. well i loved uh what my sister shared and <clears throat> I think for me, it's a lot of it is unconscious. Um, to be born native is to be born a person who lives a life of community. That's just who we are innately. We don't wake up to a world that is centered on the I or the me. And I am so grateful for that gift to come from a people who loved so good and so well that from your very moment of breath, you were taught to be responsible for your community and to each other. And it's a it's so beautiful. It is so hard. I can't imagine what it's like not to have that. And it breaks my heart to think about people who don't come from that way of life, from that way of knowing, from that way of being, from that way of doing. And my grandparents and my grandparents, Mona and Tommy Jackson, they exemplified that. You know, I think about everything that they did and, and how, how much they loved, not just their own family, but everybody in our community, you know, they took care of everybody and everybody took care of them. So for me, it's waking up as a native person, knowing that we're responsible for making sure that our people are here forever. Mm -hmm. Like we can't wake up, we can't wake up and walk away from that. Some of our people may not have had a chance to wake up yet. And some of them may just be waking up and reconnecting. And I just, I think it's so beautiful when that happens and we're waiting for them. You know, we miss them. And I think about that all the time, about what else needs to be done to hold up our people and our communities. But that's not an individual thought. That's a, <laughs> that's a collective thought. That's mm. literally how we're raised. And so that's my get up and go. Yeah. How about you? Well, 
you ask me. So, you know, every show I'm going to ask folks this, and uh, this being the first interview, I'll, I'll answer because this is kind of me getting to know the audience or audience getting to know me too. And hopefully we have a big audience. So I'm excited about this podcast. Um, mine's kind of a long answer in that everybody who knows me knows in my younger years, I struggled through addiction. And it's something I talk pretty openly about because it's part of who I am. It's it's made me who I am. Um, getting through it certainly has. Um, and some of this sounds kind of like uh, philosophic and stuff, and it is, you know. Um, if you see me on social media, you know I'm philosophizing all the time. And somebody, you know, some of it, I don't think there's any original thoughts in this world anymore, really. It's all collective from everybody. But I share things out there, and I had somebody ask me, oh, who writes that for you? And I was all offended. I was like, I write it. What do you mean who writes it for me? But I'm sure some of it comes from all the collection of life. But um, getting through addiction... And I don't know if through is really even the right thing because, you know, some people say once an addict, always. And I know for me, it's been, you know, gosh, you know, quite a long time. And I'm I'm proud of that. But it's a, it's a struggle. And I uh, made a commitment to myself to get clean and to commit myself to others and, and to being a better person. And that was a choice I made. And yeah, I tell people that, you know, you can choose to be a better person. You don't have, you know, it's not something you're either born with or not. You, you can make a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think in my younger years, I was pretty selfish. Addiction selfish. Recovery is selfish. You know, being selfish isn't always bad. But mm -hmm. I wake up driven by our traditional values. And I hold those up and I'm, I, I ask myself, I have a little morning exercise where I go through before I kind of just get up and face the world where I think about the day before, what did I do in our values? Where did I come come up strong? Where did I come up short? And then how can I do it today better? Because I want to be better today than I was yesterday. And I want to dedicate myself and my work to lifting up our people proving that healthy tribes make healthy communities, that as indigenous people, our love is our greatest strength and resource and that we can lift each other up um, and that we can be the best versions of ourselves. And it's not for me to tell you what the best version of you is, but I want to do everything I can help do to help you get there. Right. And so that's what I'm really committed to. And, you know, that's why I want to do this podcast, quite honestly, is so I could sh have these conversations with uh, people I care about that get me excited, that provide renewed drive and invigoration to what I'm doing. And, and uh, you know, we have amazing people out there in all facets of life, Indigenous people who are, you know, breaking the ceilings in elected office. They're um, breaking the ceiling in their arts or their language work. Uh, they're breaking ceilings in pop culture. How many folks do we know right now who are, you know, models, 
who are actors or actresses or singers or or you know writers and all these different forms i just see like man let's celebrate these people and so while every episode might not have uh an indigenous guest it's really going to be through our collective lens uh steve kachung and sam and i are all indigenous men and we i want to have conversations with people that inspire us and you know where we can showcase this ingenuity that's indigenous and you know all the things that my sister comes up with cool names for <laughs> you know just pushing ourselves out there and celebrating who we are and you know it doesn't have to be any one thing our culture is all encompassing it's not just language it's not just art it's not just this or that it's everything and i don't mean those like saying just it's just that we're so much more we're whole people you know and that's not oh this this hands the artist or whatever or god forbid you start talking about blood cloning but we don't do that <laughs> <laughs> no actually i hope to have some real conversations on those things you know talk to people about blood quantum what does it mean what is native enough you know because somebody else sure wants to define what that is for everybody. And uh, well, let's get started on that one now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sorry, I have to go. <laughs> well, perfect timing because, uh, you know, I think that just kind of told you my answer was long. It's, it's all encompassing, right? And so I just, again, Tiffany, Vag and I, Wapagadok, thank you so much for joining Sam and I today. Uh, we can bring Sam out of his shell a little bit more and more. He's that engineer guy who makes it all happen. Um, Sam, do you want to tell people how they can find us? Um, by then, we should be posted up on all those places on Facebook. Absolutely. So we will be starting a Facebook page and we will be out on Spotify and iTunes and possibly other sources. Uh, and once those are created, we'll, we'll be um, we'll be plugging those on every episode. We're going to try to get into the uh, the some some merch for us and merch. you know some swag for our guests. Yep. So we're really excited about that opportunity. And, Somebody. We get retroactive swag. Oh, oh you! Oh, I just want to. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. <laughs> As the first guests, we should have the first right of refusal for any other swag that you develop. Along. Agree. <laughs> Agreed. Props. I was gonna say I owe you swag. <laughs> yeah. I endorse that. Yeah, the uh, innovative and the indigenuity; those are shirts in the making. Right? <laughs> definitely coming down line. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, we're going to have sponsors. I'm really excited. Our very first sponsor is the Cedar Box out of Petersburg, Alaska. It's Alaska Native owned gift shop. And as I just bought a new house, if you go into my living room, the carpet is from them. It's beautiful. Uh, a lot of my stuff is coming to them and they're great. Uh, Will and Christy Ware in Petersburg. Uh, Will is... Uh, a strong tribal leader in his own right. And uh, 
he had he and Christy have their gift shop there. And what I love about them is they buy from real Alaska natives and support artists and give a really great uh, commission to artists they work with. So, you know, go on to the Cedar Box and they have a Facebook page and we'll put that in the notes and they have a website and they ship, they ship all everywhere. They ship everywhere. And I'm hoping, I really, you know, I was really thankful to Will saying, hey, we want to be a sponsor. Hoping others do too, because we really want to showcase and sponsor um, a lot of our folks who are doing really cool things out there. And even if they're not a sponsor, I'm always going to just brag about cool people out there doing cool things. And, you know, I could start listing them now. I'm going to get in trouble because, you know, I'll mention like uh, Ricky Tagaban or Lily Hope, who are some of our favorite artists out there doing really cool things. And I should ask you, what, who are some of your favorite artists out there producing right now? I'm going to take the fifth on that because <laughs> it's amazing. And <laughs> I have very special relationships that I don't want to, I don't want to lose out on opportunities to see things first before they go live. <laughs> Good answer. Respectful, respect your game. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and tell you who I like every week, though, and just talk about people who are doing cool things, people who are out there pushing the envelope in their art, in their expressionism, I, I think is pretty awesome. You know, and, and not maybe not all um, Tlingit or Haida people. They may be other indigenous people. Might be non-indigenous people. if they're yeah, we're, we're inclusive. We're inclusive. I, one of my favorites now is I just joined the Patreon for uh, Christy Erickson. She goes by Nami, mm -hmm. the poet. I think, wasn't she like the state poet laureate or something? something like that. Yeah. She's, I mean, pretty wicked in her own right. And just like, man, I read her stuff and see her stuff. And I'm like, whoa. Abby Echohawk, just another one. I'm always sharing her stories on and uh, just love her um, wisdom and her way of looking at things. Mm. So, you know, every week I'll probably just start naming some of my favorite artists and people and I'll get a list from Liz that I could say are mine so she could say them. <laughs> Without definitely there's so many there's so many amazing ones too that mm -hmm. I, I just i think about it not just in the context of um production of of a of a material yeah. object mm -hmm. a tangible thing but also i think about it in in kind of knowledge production story production um the people who are out there um you know for the first time bringing back the building of a uh canoe mm -hmm. you know like our brother joel isaac right now he's, mm -hmm. he's building a canoe for the first time a birch bark canoe and it's amazing or um other people who are just now starting to pull you know there's a story that our hawaiian relatives have about the manini fish which is the tiniest tiniest little fish which has the tiniest tiniest little fins the tiniest 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 little tail and one of their stories is that <clears throat> all you need is the tail of a manini fish of knowing who your people are. That's all you need. Mm. And the rest will come. And so I think about all those people out there who feel like maybe they don't know or they haven't done enough. But if all you have is that tiny, tiniest, tiniest little tail of that tiniest, tiniest little fish, it's enough. 
and just keep pulling on it, more things will come back to us that we thought were forgotten. Mm -hmm. I love that. You have any favorites out there right now? Yeah. People doing awesome. I'll, I'll make you a list too. Taking the fifth. <laughs> Howard. Um, um, you know, as we were just sitting Respect. here. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about all the people doing cool things and, you know, in our villages, people who've been holding it up for so long and, you know, we we are seeing more and more representation, right? Like, it's so cool. And I think in the pandemic, right, like, I don't know if it was because we were on Zoom, Native women took the whole uh, bling game to a whole new level. I've seen earrings. I mean, Huckleberry woman out there doing great things. Heck, my own mom, she's like weaving away and does these beautiful bracelets available at I the Cedar Box. I going to Instagram because it's just a earring feed, yeah, which I totally love, but I cannot afford. Yeah. Well, no. Well, honestly, what I what I just want to do is I just want to buy them. I don't want to be in a raffle for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, just let me buy it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to take a chance. <laughs> you, you know, I've, I've supported some of our, our friends out there doing those raffles because it's been just another innovative way. But I'm with you. I'd rather just buy it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm an instant gratification person. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, mm -hmm. just, just yeah. work to me. Um, but I'm not a gambler. I, I you know mean, what I mean? It has no, that gambling aspect has no draw for me. So I'm like, oh. So a little thing I did during the pandemic was made a choice to support a different artist every week. Mm -hmm. And so I would just buy. So then I started stockpiling. So I'm an amazing gifter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, she's so naked right now. Oh, my goodness. I, Liz is over here <laughs> showing me her bare wrists, her bare earlobes, her neck. Um, no, subtle, <laughs> subtle. But no, it, it's been great. <laughs> oh, geez. to see just like all the great indigenous wear out there and, and getting it and i just want to throw spotlights out there because i'm just sitting here and i'm thinking like folks like violet sensemeyer um her daughter amaya you know they're all like people just doing you see them on and they've got new earrings they got new things they're doing people are supporting themselves in new ways and just per perpetuating the art forms, so it's I'm wearing, awesome. Just think who I'm wearing: Lime Morrison, Cloud Creation, Joan Crystal Young, Ring, Ernie Swanson from Hide That's awesome. See right there; those are just people, and you can, they're your favorite today. I guess you know? I am wearing something today, yeah. and it's my uh, handbook tattoo by my sister, uh, my sister Akuma too. So that's great. Well, thank you so much. I think uh, that's our first uh, interview. Thank you all so much. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.